Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic-related topics and social issues. So I hope you can hear the clip I'm about to play. It is Imam, the, yeah, it's a video on YouTube, I'll leave the link below. Imam tells gay Muslims he should be killed. So I want you to take a listen and then I'll do a bit of commentary. Inshallah, I hope you can hear the clip I'm about to play. It's about two minutes, uh, about three minutes long. I myself is homosexual. I know what I've been through. I've, 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 I got married because I thought that was going to change me. I fasted 80 days every year besides uh, um, um, Ramadan, asking Allah to help me to just get rid of these things. They haven't moved. I have started with this thing from the age of 12. At the age of 5, I recognized that I was different from other boys. So I'm actually going to pause and then give a bit of commentary instead of having you listen to the whole thing and then give commentary because there's a lot of interesting points just in this short clip. So he says that he realized he was different from other boys at a young age when he grew up. Then he got married thinking that would change it. He fasted. He asked Allah to remove this from him and it has not been removed. So one beautiful thing that I'm reminded of when I hear this is that my sheikh told us before that sometimes Allah doesn't answer our dua right away because he wants to hear us ask for it. And that may seem like a strange thing, but obviously coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has his wisdom. So that could be one of the reasons. Uh, another reason that this happens, that we struggle with something and we continuously struggle with it, and we keep repenting, is that Allah loves to see us repent from it. Another reason, which is somewhat related to that, is that we can earn reward through it. So if you are having this issue, whatever it is, whether it's this issue that he's talking about, or whatever else it is, whatever thing that is against Islam that you are dealing with, and you continuously, continuously struggle and ask a lot to change you and struggle and struggle and struggle. Every time you struggle against yourself for the sake of Allah, you're being rewarded. So, of course, we all hate, I know myself, there are things that I continuously struggle with, have struggled with for years. And I think, why, you know, why can't this just change? I, I go to Allah and I ask Allah for his help with this and I feel like I keep making the same mistakes and I'm sure most of you can relate to whatever the issue is that I continuously have the same issue. So why why is that? It could be for many of the reasons that I stated before. So we can't be impatient and we also can't overlook Allah's wisdom because the answer is never, okay, Allah gave me this, I'm just going to sin. Or worse than that, okay, Allah gave me this struggle, so maybe it's not a sin. Maybe it's actually okay. And we can say that with anything. Uh, we could say that with prayer. I, can, I just can't get up for fajr, so maybe getting up for fajr is an obligatory. Well, that's the really the wrong next step to make. You can't get up for fajr, but you know it's an obligation. Maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
is rewarding you as long as you are struggling to get up for Fajr. Fajr is the very early morning, not even early morning, it's uh, the dawn prayer. And uh, we don't know Allah's wisdom, but we don't go against what Allah has given us. A hadith that I love, a story from the Prophet's life, peace and blessing be to him, and I'm summarizing, I hope I'll be able to find a link to the hadith for you guys and link it below, is that the Prophet Muhammad, there was a man who came to him, uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, in his lifetime, there was a man that came to him, and he wanted to become Muslim, but he said, I can't pray five times a day. I can only pray three times a day. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, told him, become Muslim. And the man became Muslim, and he started praying. And later on, he reported to the Prophet that he was able to pray the five prayers a day. So he didn't come to the Prophet with, a, with an attitude, oh, these five prayers is too hard, it's too much, I don't want to do this. He didn't come with an attitude, well, if God made me only have to do three prayers a day, that's all I'm doing and I don't want to change and I'm never going to change. He came with a humble attitude saying, look, I really want to do this. I want to become Muslim. I believe but I cannot fulfill this obligation right now. And your belief, that's the beginning of everything, that you believe in God and the word of God and the word of the prophet, peace and blessings to him. And that is the beginning point. But we are all going to struggle with something. And I think that in our modern times, there are particular issues that people don't like to hear about when it comes to homosexuality. People don't like to hear Muslims say, well, that's a sin just like other sins. And you can work with it and you can stop this from happening because a lot of people have this myth that really has not much scientific backing. That they are somehow born gay. That's just how they are. And unfortunately, there are others who go so far as to say that in the Quran, it does not speak against homosexuality, but the bad behavior of the people of Lot. If you know the story of Lot, where the man, the men came and they wanted to molest the angels that came. The angels came in the form of men and their town was destroyed because of their bad actions. Then some people say it's not because of their homosexuality, it's because of their bad actions. I'm inclined to believe it's both. But the funny thing is that whether or not this story is about one or the other or both, and God does say in the Quran, do you approach men like you approach women? So I think to most people it's very clearly in the Quran. But even if you don't, even if you say there's some ambiguity, there's some vagueness there, the Quran is not where it stops. That is the beginning, that is the foundation. But we still have to have the hadith and we still have our scholarship and so, in the hadith, it's very clear that homosexuality is a sin. So I think it's just very dangerous. And we we do this sometimes. It's a very dangerous path to go down. But we do this sometimes that instead of doing the hard work of fighting against ourselves, we would rather just say, you know what, maybe this thing isn't what people have thought for hundreds of years. Maybe they missed something. Maybe they were wrong. Let's continue listening. We feel that it's not a choice that we make, that um, somehow the Quran should be speaking about us as well, that we also have rights as human beings. What do you say 
is homosexuality permissible in Islam? Is that what you're promoting? We were concerned that you are murdered and apostate, and out of the fall of Islam, you would not be buried in a Muslim graveyard. This conversation is so rich and, and pretty interesting. I think it's unfortunate because it's one of those conversations where two people are speaking at each other and not to each other. The men, the men aren't even looking each other in the eye. And there obviously isn't any compassion and understanding happening in this conversation. But anyway, something about the man... <coughs> I'm sorry, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Something that the man said who is a homosexual is that he feels that they should be addressed in the Quran and that they should be given their rights and, and something like that. So this is this is such an interesting issue. And I thought that I was listening to a lecture and I thought that the imam in one lecture I was listening to, I'll also leave that link below if I can find it, is that he said, well, Islam doesn't recognize homosexuality and what what do we mean by that that we don't call a group of people gay or homosexual or even heterosexual we don't have these terms in islam i would even argue we didn't even use these terms in america decades ago is it very new term even when i was growing up i don't think we really used these terms no one really had to say they were heterosexual obviously because most people were and if you weren't that would have been a deviation but anyway, the point is that Islam deals with the act itself when it comes to something being a sin or a punishment. Your thoughts are not sinful. We want to purify our thoughts because our thoughts have a direct correlation to our actions, but a thought is not a sin. So if you have these thoughts about whatever sin you have these thoughts about, that is not a sin in and of itself. If you act on it, it is a sin, but you can always redeem yourself. If you, of course, if you do a behavior enough, then you can become known by that and that can become who you are. But in, and I'm thinking of specifically someone who drinks a lot, you would call that person a drinker or a drunk. And I remember this beautiful story of a man, I'll also try to leave this hadith below, that he was someone who perpetually got caught drinking alcohol. And there is a height punishment for alcohol, which is a uh, a punishment that involves force and would involve a kind of beating. And he came up on this charge many, many, many times. And when he was receiving this height punishment from the whoever was giving it then one of the men started to curse him and the prophet muhammad peace and blessings to him and whenever i say this story i feel so emotional about it the prophet muhammad peace and blessings to him said to the man who cursed this this drunkard do not curse him i swear that he loves allah and his messenger so it, it, I love that moment because it's so beautiful, because it says to us, it gives us so much hope that whatever sin you have, that is not the core of your being. And unfortunately, in America, then we have this socialization that we actually call people by their sexuality. And so we have groups of people calling themselves gay. 
So grouping themselves by a sinful act and then acting as though this is a legitimate um, way to be in the world when it isn't. And it's not to say that these are bad people, that these are horrible people, that they're any worse than people with other sins, but they still have to realize it's a sin. And this man, this is why this story is so beautiful, because it shows that he had a problem. And there he was getting his punishment for that problem. But the prophet, peace and blessings to him, corrected the man who cursed him and, and therefore corrected in all of our minds don't ever think, whether you're that person or you see that person, that because you are drenched in sin, that you are unable to be saved, that now that sin is who you are. It is not. And at the very foundation, we should have, like this man had, a love of God and his messenger. There's one more story, because these stories are, are so related that I always sort of say these two stories together. There was a woman who had committed adultery and she became pregnant from that adultery and so she went for the head punishment. Adultery is punished by, or should I say can be punished by stoning. Obviously, that's the harshest punishment. It's up to the judge to decide that. And she went by her own will, by her own accord, because in these cases, in adultery and fornication, you need to have four witnesses and unfortunately, there's a picture painted that in Islam, people can just get stoned or killed for these what we would consider what we would consider very um, awful sins, and would in turn also be crimes if you live in a, an Islamic society. That people can just get charged with this and punished with this very easily, and in fact, it's very difficult. You have to have four witnesses of the crime or sin, which we sort of use inter interchangeably when we're talking about law in the state, but, uh, uh, excuse me, or the person has to admit it themselves. So think about how hard it is for four reliable witnesses to catch someone in the act of intercourse. And if one of them is found to be lying, they will be punished. And so it is not a free-for-all. It is very difficult to be punished for this crime unless one actually comes forward and says, yes, I did it, and I want this punishment. And this is what she was asking for. And so she came to the prophet before, uh, when she was pregnant. The prophet told her, you know, go and have your baby. And then she came back, and the prophet told her, go and nurse your child. And then she came back again. And when she finally came back after the second or third time, then this punishment was put upon her. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Prophet said, as they were stoning her, and the blood got on one of the men, I don't know if the man looked at it with disgust or whatever it was, and he said that her blood, oh gosh, now I'm forgetting the, this hadith is so powerful, I hate that I'm forgetting it, but he said something to the effect that her blood was so purified or so righteous or so honored even more than any of those men. And I, I will leave the link below so you have a clear the clear hadith. But again, here is someone who committed adultery, got pregnant by adultery, sought out the head punishment, the punishment of being killed. And 
The prophet is saying she is better than any of you. She is better than any of you. So there, it's so sad that in our times, people are taught to be proud of their sin, even identify by their sins. And when the prophet is telling us, no matter what your sin is, no matter how bad it is, you can be redeemed. You can still have a love inside of your heart. And it really tells us if we cultivate that love in our heart, there's so much hope no matter what we do. If we try, and we should be trying, of course, but if we try to have that love of God and our and His messenger in our heart, we can just we can be saints, and no one would know it. Um, so that that's just something I wanted to mention. So let's continue listening. No Muslim person would ever read your Salat al-Janazah. We have looked at all these verses from the Quran, and obviously we have a different interpretation of what. So quickly, I want to point out, so what he's talking about there is that if someone disagrees with something that is well known in Islam, then they are not considered Muslim, and so therefore all the rights of being Muslim would not be given to them. But I think it's such an an unfortunate point to make, because first of all, that only applies if you live in an Islamic society in the first place. Um... Though I guess it can apply in, a, in an Islamic community when it comes to burial, but for the most part, it only applies if you live in an Islamic society in the first place and people are even able to make those kind of laws. That's first. Secondly, I just think it's unfortunate that some of our scholars, I'm not saying a lot, I'm not saying all, but some of our scholars are just unable to interact with the with contemporary issues and contemporary modes of thought. Telling someone the thick ruling, the jurisprudence on particular issues is sometimes just not helpful, just not useful. I think most of the time, when you're speaking to a Western person, unless they specifically ask you about the ruling, don't tell them about it. They don't care. They do not. We don't live in a time where people hold rules very highly. And that's fine. I mean, Islam is not all about rules. Islam is about um, belief. Islam has three basic parts, which is belief, rules, and spirituality. And so we don't have to always bombard people with rules, especially when we don't live in 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 an Islamic society. We're telling somebody about the thick rules that don't apply just doesn't make any sense. So for him to tell him this rule, well, you won't be considered a Muslim and this and that and this, I just think it's so utterly pointless, pointless and kind of a lost moment. What has happened then? No person can make interpretation to suit his desires or her desires when you have clear-cut verses and when Lut, alayhi salatu salam, peace be upon him, when he addressed his people and told them, al-fahisha? Do you commit and bring that obscene and lewd action where a male fulfills his desire with a male? We cannot just take the verses from the Quran and, and use it as a blank condemnation for homosexuality. So again, I think this is just similar to the issue with bringing out different law, law and, and fic issues. Jurisprudence, I think it can sometimes even be pointless to, to point out well, in this verse in the Quran or in this hadith, we really have to 
have a big picture knowledge of Islam as well as the details. Fiqh is extremely important. The Quran is extremely important. Hadith are extremely important. But you have to know who you're talking to. And if you're talking to someone who is not on that level where they really care about what the majority of scholars say about clear-cut verses of the Quran, you have to find another way to speak to them. And I think it's very unfortunate when scholars don't have that language, when they only know how to speak really the way people should speak when they're speaking scholar to scholar or student of knowledge to student of knowledge. But when you're speaking to a lay person, you have to adopt a whole different language because you have to be relatable. The point is to get the information across and however the person can best understand it. You're not going to speak about things the same way if you're talking to a child, if you're talking to an older person, if you're talking to your neighbor or a family member. You always slightly adjust your tune in any subject. But when it comes to Islam and how important it is to convey Islam appropriately, it's very unfortunate when scholars don't know how to do that. When foreigners and guests came into the, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, these men were rushing to, to molest them. As the Quran says, it was an abomination that they've been doing for a long time. So it was, it was, it was a male-to-male -male rape. So Allah doesn't refer to the homosexual relationship here, but he's referring to a homosexual act, which was the molestation, which taking the rights of another person away from him. So you want we leave the direct text and accept some human being's opinion to play with semantics and say that this is, you know, molestation. I mean, you are just playing with words. Homosexuality is a crime not only in Islam, in every divine religion, and is punishable in Islam by death. And we say if it was an Islamic state, then you would be face the capital punishment. The only difference... So again, basically on the same point... What is the point in telling him he's going to face capital punishment? What is the point of telling him if you're in Islamic State, you'd be killed? This is the kind, the kind of soundbite Islam that people would love to use against us. And I'm pretty sure this imam knows there's a camera on him. And this could, Allahu Alam, if he knows it can be put anywhere, including the internet. But it's so pointless to tell him that. And it just makes Islam look bad. Is it wrong that... To say that someone caught in the act of homosexuality could, and it's very important to say could, face capital punishment, of course it's not wrong. Of course that's correct. And we have to deal with the reality of when that is applied, when it's not applied, if it's even applied in our times, and all these other things. Of course it's correct. But what is the point in bringing that up in this conversation? It's irrelevant. We don't live in an Islamic society, and a lot of countries don't even really practice Sharia law. So they just they take bits and pieces of what they want. They don't have a wholesale kind of Islamic approach. So it's it's just very pointless to tell them this. And then to also look at the culture again, calling oneself homosexual, uh, gay, saying that one was born with being gay, that comes from a Western mindset, a Western philosophy, a Western ideology. This man didn't just make it up. That has been drilled into the Western mindset for years now. And so do not have a very keen awareness of this and know how to dissect it. It's just, it's really unfortunate and it doesn't help in these sorts of conversations. 
difference among the jurists is how the person should be killed. That's the only difference. And I gave you the hadith of Nabi alayhi salatu salam, the saying, فَقْتُلُ الْفَعِلُ وَالْمَفْعُولُ بِهِ So just, just an unfortunate waste of time, obviously, and just making Islam look bad. And Islam looking bad is just as much the fault of Muslims as it is the fault of the people who portray us in that light. If we were intelligent, we would know how to speak to different people. And no, that doesn't mean deceiving people. As I said on one of the previous podcasts, we do not deceive people. We're not interested in being vague. But you do need to know how to speak to the people you're speaking to and how to use your time. If someone gives me five minutes to talk about the Islamic view of homosexuality, I'm not going to mention capital punishment. That's so pointless because that gets into a discussion that just says, oh, Islam is so horrible and backwards and evil without getting into the philosophy of why is homosexuality forbidden in Islam? Why is it forbidden in all the traditional religions? Why is it bad for society? And it's so important, not just from an Islamic point of view, but to know the philosophies, to know that there are other people who agree with us, not just within the Muslim faith, there are conservative Christians that agree with us. There are cons- there are even conservative gay people that agree with us. There are cons- there are all different groups of people that, if you would take a look, from philosophers to conservatives to Republicans to all different kind of people that also agree with us. So bringing up those lines of thought as well, instead of saying, "Well, this is what it says on this page in Hadith, and this is what it says in Quran." To people who that is not relevant to, that's not the world they live in. And lastly, I'll say that I think not being able to talk to people in that way, in a wholesale way, bringing them the spirit of Islam as well as the text is an issue that we face also because of the lack of scholarship, the lack of quality scholarship of people who either learn on their own or take this very Quran and Hadith approach, when we need so much more than that. We need such a broad scope. And also the taking of Tisawaf, which is Islamic spirituality, pretty much away from mainstream Islam has been so harmful to Islam and to Muslims. Because I think if we had those two, a really holistic Islamic um, knowledge base, as well as a really thriving Islamic spirituality, people would know how to tackle the issues of the time, as well as knowing the philosophy of the day and knowing the underpinnings and and knowing why people think the way they think and knowing how our modern-day society was created so that we don't look like backwards idiots, so that we don't look like people who are just following it in an outdated way of life. Because that, first of all, that's not what Islam should ever look like because the way in which Islam was given to us and left to us by the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, was in a way that we could always grow from it. The differences of opinions that the scholars have had over centuries allows us to grow and do not be stuck in one interpretation of Islam. And so if we really knew Islam, if we really knew our history, if we really knew the times that we're living in, we would be able to approach these subjects and not sound like backward idiots.
and and that's not an insult to the imam, but I think that is the perception that a lot of people get from us when they hear this kind of rhetoric. Thank you for listening. Take care.